There's instructors out there who say that you absolutely need to learn line of sight. And I think that is outdated. Well, you know, the more people can make money at a hobby, sort of the more it can grow and sort of be legitimized. I'll say one piece of advice that I don't agree with is... Honestly, I'd be amazed if somebody hasn't seen or even heard about you. But for those that haven't, who are you and what do you do? I am uh, Joshua Bardwell. I make uh, YouTube videos about FPV. That's what I always tell people when they ask what I do for a living. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, you make YouTube videos for a living? Well, yeah, let's let's talk <laughs> about that. How long have you been making YouTube videos, like, from, from complete start? Yeah, so I went full-time, I think, in 2018. January 2018 was when I went full-time. and uh, But I've been making videos for a few years before then, just, uh, you know, when I wasn't doing my day job. Yeah. Um, so that gets further and further away. Like five years ago now. Yeah, I know. But five years is a long time to be full time on on a platform. But why did you originally start making the videos? Right? Like, what's your reasoning there? Yeah, I started making the videos uh, because I uh, just wanted to. I wanted to learn about this stuff, and one of the ways that I learn about the stuff is to kind of try to figure it out and then sort of package it up and teach it to other people. Um, and so. Uh, I originally started making PowerPoint uh, presentations because I was an instructor and uh, I was used to making class, you know, slides basically. And uh, I posted that on RC Group's forum and didn't, no one, no one looked at it. <laughs> and so I thought, well, there's got to be a better way. And I started making videos and posting them to my YouTube channel, uh, which, uh, you know, just, and then posting the links on RC Group's. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it sort of took on a life of its own. If we go back to, I guess, the beginning side of things, when and why did you get into the FPV space? Um, I got into FPV. Uh, actually, I started RC fl flight with a, a fixed wing, uh, and uh, but I got tired of having to leave home and go down to the soccer field to fly the fixed wing uh, because you can't really fly a fixed wing around my house. It's too many trees and stuff. And so I saw uh, FPV. I don't know if it was on, maybe it was probably on Flight Test, because that was the main YouTube channel I was watching. Maybe it was Rotor Riot. I'm not sure. But I saw FPV, and I thought that looked pretty cool. And I uh, uh, knew that I could fly FPV around my house, because you can fly a multi-rotor in a much tighter spot. And I thought, well, okay, let's let's give this a try. Uh, and then, of course, I was hooked, and... and uh, I, I can't remember the last time I flew a fixed wing. <laughs> really? So you completely just sort of like got out of the fixed wing side of things and it was straight into the FPV quads full time? Pr pretty much. Pretty much. I had a fixed wing for a little while, but I really enjoy flying multi-rotors a lot more. Why is that? Like what sort of, what draws you into multi-rotors more? Is it the space sort of side of things or? Yeah. I mean, I do like that you can fly them just about anywhere. I think that you have a lot more sort of control with how you're interacting with the environment you know uh whereas with a plane you always have to be moving forward you know you can't go you can't slow down or stop or do any of that go backwards or sideways uh whereas with a multi-rotor you pretty much can do whatever you want it to do for sure for sure and that's uh that's really that's really fun yeah I'm, I'm still yet to fly a fixed wing um i've been told by many people it's it's definitely worth trying but yeah i've only i've only been in the fpv space like without the uh fixed wing side of things but i don't know i feel like i kind of got into it with cinematography in mind and that was sort of my way and i don't think 
well, I haven't personally seen any cinematography with fixed wings, but no, <laughs> there could there could be a way. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, if you look at FPV footage from a fixed, there's people who's going to be annoyed at you at saying I fly FPV versus fixed wing, and they're going to be like, you can fly a fixed wing FPV, and they're right. You can put FPV camera on whatever you want. But if you look at the FPV footage or GoPro footage from a fixed wing, it's so like bouncy and all over the place because there's no like stabilization like there is inherent with a multirotor, at least on, on most planes. Yeah. Um, and when, when planes do have some kind of stabilization, like the control surfaces can only work so fast, right? For sure. So the footage is, is just nowhere near as good. And uh, for me, at least, the experience of flying it isn't as enjoyable. I mean, you could take a plane up and you could have a, an FPV camera in it and you could be sort of looking out at the clouds and that's kind of cool. Um, but I really like, you know, getting down near the ground and doing proximity stuff uh, a lot better. I don't think planes are very good at that. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that the control on a plane is quite as much control as you would have with, with a multi-road. I mean, hey, I could be wrong. I'm not experienced in it, so I won't, I, no, I won't speak no. on fixed wings anymore but <laughs> yeah oh, i've seen people do proximity fixed wing like down near the ground flying through trees very skilled pilots i think it's very very difficult uh but uh i think it's rare well i guess it's probably similar to things like uh what is it 3d helicopters right is that all three is that what's what called the 3d 3d helis or something like yeah, that yeah yeah um have you had any any time with those at all none no in the simulator only and i'm it just wasn't very good I don't really do well with line of sight. I mean, with airplanes, with airplanes and line of sight, I I I was okay. Well, back when I flew planes, I probably way out of practice. Because at the end of the day, an airplane is always flying forward, right? Uh -huh. So if you're not a hundred percent sure about your orientation, you can kind of like you can kind of like tip the wing, and if it goes the same direction as you tipped it, then you know it's going away from you. And if it goes the opposite direction, then you know it's coming towards you. Yeah. And then you could kind of like sort of dial it in. Um, so as long as you can kind of basically see where the airplane is in the sky and whether it's climbing or, or, or descending, you could kind of fly it and get it back to yourself. Um, but with a multi-rotor, it could be facing any direction and flying any direction. And it's it, the same principles sort of apply, but it's way easier for it to get away from you because you can't assume that it's facing the direction it's moving. And I, I really have a lot of respect for people like quad mover comes to mind who fly line of sight, multi-rotor acro. It's, I mean, like I can hover line of sight, but that's about it. Yeah. I'm 100% on the same page as you have. The second that you turn that drone around, I'm, I'm lost, man. Like mm -hmm. I, I understand everything's inverted, yeah. but holy crap, no way can I figure out that yeah. left is right and right is left. It just screws with my mind. You can't, I think you can't think about it that way because you have to be able to translate it, not just facing you and facing away, but you have to be able to translate it in any direction. So like, I think mentally you like almost imagine yourself in the aircraft and then you're just sort of flying it to make the changes to the way that it's facing to make it do what you need to do. But that's, Way easier said than done. Yeah, I was going to say, definitely easier said than done. Much more enjoyable for me to put myself into goggles and just go go sporadic, go crazy. Uh, which I'm curious to know, what do you actually enjoy about, like, I, I kind of see these niches within the FPV space. You know, you've got the racing, the cinematic freestyle, long range, like these sort of subcategories. What's sort of your 
I don't know, your favorite, your, what do you enjoy the most about it? Yeah, I mean, I like, I've, I've done some racing. I enjoy racing when I do it, but it's not what I do most of the time. Um, I like freestyle most of the time, just kind of trying to learn new tricks and, uh, you know, just seeing people do amazing things with the, with the quad and then trying to figure out if I can do them too. For sure. Give them a bit of a replicate and throw it around and abuse the quads a little bit. Yeah, for sure. That's the way. So I found out today that you've actually created a documentary called Flow State. And from my understanding, it's a feature length FPV documentary. I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about it actually. Yeah, so uh, I started, I had a, 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 a dream years ago to make a feature length film about FPV. And uh, I met uh, this guy, James Christensen is his name, at a party, uh, at a race actually, it was a whoop race, a party whoop race, same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he actually had uh, filmed a documentary previously and he got it on Netflix and uh, he was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So. Uh, we partnered up, uh, and we, uh, I say we, he did all the legwork, all the creative work, all the editing. He shot all the interviews, uh, and I put up the money. <laughs> so I got a, I got an executive producer credit for that. Uh, but, um, uh, we, uh, made a feature length, uh, documentary about FPV. Uh, it's really cool and exciting to see FPV footage like you expect to see on YouTube up on the big screen. Um, and, uh, it's, it tells a story for, it was filmed in about 2020, mid 2020 to mid 2021. And, uh, talks about, you know, just does a lot of interviews with FPV pilots, talks about different aspects of FPV culture. Uh, and, uh, uh, just really excited to finally, uh, have it out, have it available for people to watch. For sure. That's awesome, man. So like if somebody wants to go and watch it, where are they going for that? Well, it's so we've got a website. It is uh, flowstatedocumentary.com. Uh, and uh, there you can find links to places you can watch it. It is currently on uh, pr Amazon Prime Video, is probably the one most people are going to have. We have a Vimeo site. Uh, and then there are options to watch it ad supported. So you can rent it like on Amazon Prime. You can also watch it ad supported if you just want to, if you don't want to put any cash up on Plex. Tubi and Hoopla, and if you're old-fashioned like that, you can even buy a Blu-ray. Uh, the Blu-ray does. <laughs> when we finished the initial edit of this film, we originally thought we might get it onto Netflix, which it didn't work out that way. But that was kind of our dream. And James edited it as like three 40-minute sort of mini documentaries. So the total it was the total length was like three hours. I don't think those. I think that. Does it? I'm not sure those numbers uh, work, but well, let's run with it. It was like three hours, and then we cut it down to like an hour and a half documentary. But the Blu-ray actually has like literally all of the original footage if you just can't get enough. Oh, okay. So yeah. the Blu-ray is kind of like the exclusive in a way. So realistically, going with Blu-ray gets it in your hand, and it gets all of the content in your hand. I love that. But you you have to have a Blu-ray player. So That's I true. mean, <laughs> James really want. He was like, we were having a lot of trouble with distribution. Um, we hoped to get it picked up like by Netflix, uh, which, uh, because our goal, our goal, my goal at least was not just to make a film that the FPV community would love, although that obviously was a goal, but was to make a film that people outside the FPV community could stumble across uh. and go, oh, what's this documentary and watch it and learn about FPV. So the hope was always to get it onto a platform 
like Amazon Prime was our sort of that's that's probably the one that most closely fits that bill right now. Um, and uh, we had a lot of trouble getting it distributed. Uh, so w while we were trying to get it onto all these platforms, uh, James was like, why don't we just burn some DVDs? We'll just sell, I mean, uh, Blu-rays. Yeah. We'll just sell discs and anybody who wants it can finally see it. Um, so we still, I still have a, several boxes of discs uh, available. So Epic. Okay. Well, that's, it's interesting to note too that it's not just being created to, you know, interest the FPV community, which is obviously what it's for, like you said, but to actually provide another gateway for people to get into the hobby. And I, I, that's that's a really cool thing because I feel like that, would you say that's what your mission is sort of on the YouTube side of things as well is to help make things obviously easier and sort of get people into the hobby? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Uh, that FPV is a huge learning curve and a lot of people don't get past that learning curve and they would like, they, the first step is to have someone learn that FPV exists and then the second step is to have them to go, oh, I, I'm interested in that. I want to do that. And then they like get some equipment. They don't know what equipment to get. And then they get the equipment and they don't know how to make it work. And it's incredibly, if you compare it to something like even a DJI drone, which they have their own complexity, but just about any Yahoo can buy a DJI drone and get it in the air in an afternoon. And FPV just isn't like that. Um, so I, but I, I wish more people were into it. I love it. I want it to th grow and survive. Of course, I make my living at it. And so helping people get over that learning curve is a big motivation for me. For sure. Where do you see FPV going in 10 years time then? I mean, 10 years is, is way too far out to even predict. I mean, uh, I think you could try to make guesses about two years and uh, I think that what we're seeing right now is the effect of regulation in the United States, definitely, and around the world, uh, is really shaping uh, the public perception of FPV. Uh, I hear, I hear, and I don't know how much of this is true, but I definitely hear from people who say, "Well, you know, this regulation is too much. I'm going to go try a different hobby." Uh, I'm sorry to, I'm, th th I'm sad about that because, I mean. There's nothing about the regulation that means that you can't participate in the hobby and enjoy the hobby, but it feels onerous and it feels restrictive and some people just puts a bad taste in their mouth. Um, at the same time, we have a lot of hopeful things going on uh, where FPV is you know, being exposed to the public. We have you know, Alex Vanover working with Michael Bay for the ambulance film. And Michael Bay just like seems legitimately psyched about cinema drones, right? We see drones doing all these things and coming into the public view in a way that they haven't. So it's this time where it seems like there's a lot of sort of potential and promise, but also a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and it's difficult to predict where it's going to be in two years, never mind 10 years. Yeah, I gotcha. Where do you, where do you hope to see it be then in, in, say, two years? I think realistically... I mean, I would love if some of the regulations, like the FAA regulations like remote ID, uh, were changed to be a lot less restrictive. Uh, I think that does not seem to be oh, the FAA's intent. And some of the things that have seemed like they might be sort of hopeful little sort of backdoors 
uh, to being able to continue to enjoy the hobby the way that we always have, haven't really seemed to play out. Um, so I hope that people are able to continue to enjoy the hobby the way that they have. I hope that we continue to see more and more opportunity for people doing commercial work. Um, people, you know, the more people can make money at a hobby, sort of the more it can grow uh, and sort of be legitimized. Yeah, but mostly I just hope that all the people who want to enjoy FPV flying around, you know, with goggles on their face are able to continue to do it because I, I think it's a really great hobby. For sure. Yeah, I feel like the the hobby has not only like, and I hear this from a lot of people, it's not just like the the fact of, you know, flying around having fun. It's like actually being involved in a community and a community that like really is tight knit. And I feel like I went to my first race event not not too long ago. And it was my first time really being exposed to like at a proper community of within the FPV space. And it was the nicest, like most welcoming place to be. And I feel like that is, yeah. that's like such a big reason why I feel like FPV needs to continue progressing forwards. And like, it's, it's definitely difficult. Yeah. Um, not only obviously over, over where you are in America and whatnot, but like in, in, in the U S but in New Zealand, the, like the rules are equally as frustrating, I guess you could call them. And, and they just feel For sure. very much so like they're funneling, funneling us out slowly, but surely. It's sort of a bit annoying. It's tough. I mean, I don't know how uh, people in like New Zealand, Australia, some European countries where the rules are very, very restrictive, even more restrictive than here in the United States. I don't know how they do it. I, I assume, I could be wrong about this, that uh, people are just not, they're breaking the rules and they're just not getting caught and no one cares. I mean, which is uh, certainly uh, going to work for a while, I guess. Um, I mean, there's definitely people who just say, I'm just going to fly and I don't care. It's definitely the case. I mean, you got to, there's definitely a lot of people that, I mean, it, it happens even with the DJI drones and stuff. Like people, you know, either don't know the rules or they specifically go out and break mm -hmm. the rules. Uh, but mm -hmm. there's definitely the, the upside about the rules is there's, there's ways that you can still do it within the rules, within the laws and keep it all legit. So mm -hmm. That's an that's an upside, but yeah, I feel like the more further yeah. we go in the future, the harder it's going to get. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, that's all right. That's that's legality side of things. We can we can keep having fun and keep progressing with well, outside. Yeah. That's I'm going to keep having fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We, <laughs> that's that's the point of this whole thing to keep having fun. And have you on on a slightly different note? Have you? Have you been like looking into the AI space side of things of, of just in general, like artificial intelligence? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like an, an expert at it or anything, but I'm super interested and I'm intrigued by it. I think that uh, these natural language models like ChatGPT are one of the most uh, exciting sort of technological leaps forward that I've really ever seen in my life. Like you sort of grow up and you have a sense uh based on the state of technology from the age of like, let's say five to 15 years old, you have a sense of what kind of things are possible. Like self-driving cars. My kids, they're not gonna even understand that a self-driving car is weird. They're just gonna have self-driving cars. So I grew up and to me, like voice recognition and uh, understanding that 
was like just completely outside the realm. Like the idea that you could just say, you know, hey, uh, you know, Alexa, turn on the lights or something, and they would just understand and parse that. That's extraordinary. But then to uh, to flip that and have them be able to carry on a conversation is I, I it's hard for me to think of any single technological jump in my lifetime that is that sort of like uh, th this is just sci-fi yeah you know the, the extremities of it and just how yeah how many different things it can do i mean even just chat gpt with text right like it, it blows my right. mind still to the day of just what you can achieve with it but i was kind of kind of curious on the thought of do you see it being implemented within fpv and like within i guess beta flight and you know like because being an open source side of things we can I don't know, potentially use these AI yeah. te tools and technology to, to advance, you know, the flying side of things. Here's the challenge with that. So th this is something that has been played with. There was uh, something uh, not too long ago, a drone mesh was playing with it. It was someone's like PhD thesis or something like that. And it was, um, I forget, I forget what it was called. I'm blanking on it right now, but it was an, basically a machine learning AI based PID controller, except it's not a PID controller. It's, it's AI based, it's machine learning. And, uh, I think Pavel Spakowski recently, the INAV developer posted some little screenshots of some code he was playing with, where he was playing with machine learning. Um, to, to me, the big challenge with that, with can we use AI or machine learning to, uh, make drones fly better than they do now, um, so the big challenge with that is that in order to train a machine learning model, you need a humongous data set and you need the ability to show the, the, the AI, the data set, and, and it looks at the data set and it says, is this right? And it throws something out and you say, no, that's wrong. Or yes, that's right. You need to train it and the ability first so first of all we don't have that data set like what we would need is we would need like just millions and millions of black box logs for example but then even if we had that data set the other thing we would need is the ability to tell the ai this one is one where the flight controller did the right thing this one is one where the flight controller did the wrong thing and that's a, a very very difficult to overcome um in one case, in this uh, project I just mentioned earlier that Drone Mesh talked about, uh, it was PID flight. PID flight was what it was called. They trained the AI in a simulator. So they had a simulator that simulated physics and simulated the AI's inputs and the effect of the AI's inputs. Well, that's fine, but then your AI model is only as accurate as your simulator. So you really, I mean, you really want to be able to train it on real-world data and the ability to sort of iterate that real-world data, I think, is is going to be very, very challenging. It's not like you can, you know, I think it's going to be very challenging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the whole AI side of things is so new still. So it's such a it's such a new... I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously, machine learning has been around for a while, but this whole new, I'm going to call it a revolution of artificial intelligence breakout that we've had recently, that's very much so a new side of things. So... It's just interesting to sort of, you know, I guess, see and and hear about what your thoughts were on that because it's, I, I feel like there's parts of it that we'll eventually figure out and 
you know, maybe it'll open up some new features and beta flight that we've never even thought of. Um, who knows? I guess like it's sort of this big, this big unknown world. I think the place that's most exciting is, I mean, if we're specifically talking about natural language processing, the place where it's got the most potential is in education, in troubleshooting and so forth. It still has a long way to go because like the problem with, with ChatGPT, for example, is that when it's wrong, it sounds like it's right. It can give you a very, very right sound. My 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 son the other day was talking to me and he was like, yeah, uh, after World War II, the Qing Dynasty fell and that's why uh, Taiwan is a separate island from mainstream mainland China. I was like, oh, that sounds, sounds like this kid knows what he's talking about. And then I went and looked it up and like the Qing Dynasty fell in like, you know, 1625 or I don't know, 18... <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. it wasn't after World War II. He was completely wrong in every respect. He sounded good. And ChatGPT can like be like that. So when they give uh, you an answer, you don't always know if it's going to be the right answer. But I guess that's that's true for people to some degree too. Going off of, I guess, not bad taste, but like bad bad recommendations and such. What's something that you hear that like within the FPV space that you just wish you didn't have like have to hear or didn't didn't think that people believed? You, uh, like a misconception or something? Yeah, yeah. Like or what's bad what's, advice? Yeah, like a bad recommendation, bad advice. What's something like that you hear consistently mm. that you're like, ah, no, like don't do that. That's just that's just so. I'll tell you one piece of advice that I don't agree with is some people recommend that you start learning to fly with a tiny whoop because a, a, a 65 millimeter, a little tiny whoop. It's true that they're inexpensive. That's a benefit. It's true that they're in some ways more durable than a five inch. They, I mean, but, um, the real challenge is that people uh, try to learn to fly them and they fly them indoors, which they think is safer because they like, you can't fly away. But the problem is indoors, there's so much stuff to crash into. It's actually really hard to fly a tiny whoop indoors if you're a beginner, because you, you get out of control and then you just crash into the wall and you're down. Um, whereas, uh, if you're flying outdoors, like in a big open environment, you have a lot more room to kind of get some altitude and to kind of, you know, get make a mistake and then recover. Uh, but uh, tiny whoops don't fly great outdoors, especially if there's a little bit of wind. So I would say um, the best way to fly is probably not a tiny whoop. Uh, it might not be a five inch either, though. Um, some, maybe something in between or, of course, a simulator. Yeah, I guess on that, like if you were to put yourself or put somebody into a complete noob state like of having no idea about you know if you end up maybe they've just seen your documentary right flow state and they come in right. and they're like right how am i how do i start like what what am i doing to go from complete noob to you know maybe getting closer to flying like a professional or whatever yeah i mean the thing to do is to uh spend maybe maybe as little as 40 or 50 bucks on a controller or a better controller's going to be in the range of maybe a hundred bucks to get a controller and then get a simulator. Like you can get one off of steam. You can get Velocidrone. Velocidrone's a little, maybe a little expensive for somebody who's just getting started and wants to, but just get any simulator, even a free one and try it. There's, there's online lessons. Uh, some simulators have built in tutorials that'll get you started. Uh, but, uh, you can try it in the simulator and with, relatively small investment those skills 100 percent transfer especially in the beginning 
the fact that the physics of the simulator are not like perfectly accurate doesn't really matter because you could barely fly the damn thing anyway. And um, just start start there. And then while you're playing in the simulator, also be researching what you're going to buy and what quads you're going to get. But uh, that's how I would definitely tell anybody to get started. It's a, it's the lowest investment to get you flying. And get, yeah, get you started into it. So then what are they taking? What, you know, you sort of mentioned maybe don't go for a tiny work. What sort of quad should somebody get as their first? Are they, are they going for a pre-build? Are they going to go straight into it and build something? Like what's sort of the best route? Well, so that's going to depend a lot on the individual. Uh, if somebody absolutely doesn't want to build, then I steer them towards the Rotoriot pre-builds. Um, Rotoriot uh, Bind and Fly, you can get a Rotoriot Bind and Fly quadcopter, controller, uh, batteries, charger, everything. Literally just take it out, turn it on. It's all set up and completely ready to go. Um, it, it the That's going to cost a little bit more than if you built it yourself. Uh, not as much more as people think it is, uh, but there's a little bit of a premium there. Um, but it's just this, the the least number of steps to get you going. Uh, it is the thing. Is, the the problem with that is that eventually you're going to crash it, you're going to break it, and you're going to need to learn to repair it. Uh, so a lot of people are going to end up learning to build, but maybe they don't want to build the very first day. They just want to have the experience of flying it a little bit before they crash it, break it. Um, if you go with a build. Uh, the best thing to do is to find a, a, a good tutorial video, buy the exact same parts that that person bought, and then follow along as closely as you can. Um, and, uh, of course, I've got some tutorials as well. Um, but uh, that's the direction I would I would steer somebody. Is there, is there a specific type of quad that you'd sort of aim, like push them towards going? Like are we talking smaller three-inch? Are we sort of going for cine whoops for the, the you know... The protection side yeah. things, like what's sort of a good direction? So that that depends on what kind of flying the person is most interested in and what and, and other considerations. Like, for example, if you live in an urban environment where you can't be flying even like a powerful five inch, you might need you might need to get something smaller. Um, if you have a little bit more space to play around, you might be uh, able to do something a little larger. Uh, I would say that uh, as long as you get to a point in the simulator where you're reasonably capable, and I don't mean like pulling tricks, but like you get past that point where the minute you take off, you're out of control and the quad is, has a life of its own, and then you crash. And If you can take off, you can basically fly around and you can land or at least controlled crash more or less where you mean to, then you're basically ready to fly even like up to a five-inch freestyle drone. Um, it would just be a question of what kind of flying you want to do. A lot of people lean towards a sit-a-whoop because they have prop guards and it feels like they're safer. And there's some truth to that, but they're not very fast and they don't, they don't, they're not really good at acro. So unless what you want to do is just kind of tool around, then a sit-a-whoop might not be the best choice. Interesting. Okay. So I guess, it, yeah, it all depends on, I guess, what you want to be, what, what you aim to go into right. uh, for. Because I guess if you going with a racing mind you're probably going to want something that's not a cine work. exactly whereas if you come into it with a cinematography yeah. mindset you're going to potentially want uh i mean you still very much so right. might want a freestyle but you know the cine work could be a good option yeah. to go with there as well uh, yeah it just depends on what you want to do um for somebody who's more concerned with size and safety a three inch 
You can get three inch quadcopters in the 250 gram to 300 gram weight range. Being under 250 grams in the US helps you with some regulations, so that's nice. I think a three, if I had to pick one quadcopter to be somebody's first quadcopter just for everybody, I'd say a, a three or three and a half inch freestyle quad under 250 grams all of weight. It's going to be relatively safe. It's going to be relatively durable. It's going to have pretty reasonable speed and agility, and it's going to be able to do almost anything you ask it to do, at least okay, if not great. For sure, yeah, within within its, I guess, <laughs> within what it's capable of. I, and then, yeah, I guess the final thing on that is once you've gone past your simulator, you've got your drone and stuff, are we going out, there's, there's like, I always hear controversial, like, opinion, well, not controversial, but just diff very different opinions here. Do you go in and learn line of sight first? And then once you're good at line no. of sight, or do you just pop those goggles on and go for it? I am not in agreement. There, There's instructors out there who say that you absolutely need to learn line of sight. And I think that is uh, outdated. Uh, that's not to say that being able to fly line of sight has no advantages. I've seen Alex Vanover. Uh, Alex Vanover, in the middle of a trick, he loses video and he just rips his goggles up and, and flies at line of sight and saves it. And if he couldn't fly line, and of course, he's an extort, he's a really good line of sight pilot. Like the ability to do that is, is mind boggling to me. Um, I can hover line of sight and basically sort of fly in a circle. And, and that I use that if I want to like check things, my props are right or whatever, I'll take off line of sight. Um, but I, that's the extent of it. There's advantages to line of sight. But I definitely don't think it's required. I don't think the ability to fly line of sight makes you a better FPV pilot in very many ways. Um, I will say I've had some students who really just could not make FPV flying click because what the sticks were making the drone do just didn't sort of connect in their mind with what they were seeing in the goggles. And I would... Uh, I would... Actually, I'd say I would. I was another instructor I was working with who was like, dude, let him fly line of sight. I was like, that's stupid. But he was right. Um, he let the students fly line of sight. And when they saw the quad hovering in front of them, tilting and rolling, and then after just a little bit, 20 minutes of that, it clicked for them and they were able to fly FPV. So there definitely are some advantages. I personally think just put the goggles on and learn to do it. And if you feel like learning to fly line of sight or that's not working for you, go for it. But um, I, I think there's plenty of great MPV pilots out there who can't fly a line of sight. I don't think it really matters. That's some super duper valuable information there. So obviously you run your YouTube channel, which is completely an, a humongous just information bomb consistently day after day of seeing new content put out there. So how can the listeners find and support you? And, and also with the Flow State yeah. documentary again, how do we... How do we find everything and, and support you? Yeah, thank you. I'm Joshua Bardwell on YouTube. Uh, and uh, flowstatedocumentary.com is the film's website. I'd love, if anybody hasn't seen that, I'd love to have you check it out. Uh, and uh, everybody also uh, can email me if they have FPV-related questions. jb at joshuabardwell.com. My inbox is open. Uh, I try to help everybody that I can. Awesome. I, thank you so much for coming on today, Joshua. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brody.